0: Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either, but it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story, you know. Have you a real love of books and learning?
1: Vanskoy, coming to you for Adventures in Library Instruction. It is April.
2: No, Almost March. Almost April. We're just in under the wire again.
1: We're yes. It's late March, 2012, and it's episode 34. And this evening, we are going to be talking about meta-searching and instruction. And this is going to be a huge um, learning experience for me because we do not have. Federated searching or discovery layers or any of this fancy stuff that Rachel and Jason have just been chatting about. So I'm excited. to I'm going to be the um, the ignorant fool, which I think I am on every episode. So it's nothing new and different here. But before we get started, let's go ahead and have everyone introduce themselves again. My name is Anna. I am a part time reference librarian at a, Mer- <laughs> at a county public library system in New Jersey. And to my left is Rachel.
3: I'm Rachel Borchard. I'm the science librarian at American University in Washington, D.C. And to my, what did you say, right? Sure. Wow. To my right sure. is Jason.
2: Hi. So I, I'm going to do this just one time because I have a brand new title and I'll never bring it up again. But I'm, the, <laughs> I'm assistant professor Jason Puckett uh, and I'm the communication librarian at Georgia State in Atlanta. Hi. You guys yes, how are you doing is. tonight
3: yes, sir <laughs> should we start calling you prof now or something
2: you you can if you want are you are, uh, do you have a do you, you have faculty rank right Rachel
3: I do uh, ours goes assistant associate full so I am okay. also assistant but that does not connote any uh, title change
2: okay well, but this is <laughs> this is brand new for for me we get hired at instructor ours goes instructor assistant associate prof Uh, and we get usually usually get hired at um instructor if you've got previous experience they will often hire at assistant so anyway i just got promoted last month um and uh it means nothing new for my job it means a tiny raise and that's it so anyway i'll never bring it up again i just want to say that one time so how are you guys doing tonight
1: (laughs) awesome we're doing fine we're doing well i'm hanging in there you know yeah Teaching my classes. I mean, it's you know, it's all it's different for me because you guys are. I'm assuming you guys are winding down instruction.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I'm sure students are going crazy with papers and stuff right now. But um,
3: I actually I have three instruction sessions in the next two weeks.
1: What? What?
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's April. When is when is your semester (laughs) over? It's it's going to be April. Uh,
3: Early May, actually. It's uh before they start research on their last paper. Um, they want me seeing them no no these are all follow-ups oh
1: okay Oh, excellent yeah
3: actually it's not true one of the class i haven't seen this semester but it's still like the second half like they got library instruction last semester they just haven't seen me but it's all like a hey here's a reminder of libraries you know go through a couple exercises but then they spend at least half the class looking for research while i'm there to help
2: because so. i'm i'm done teaching by um spring break by midterms um Mm. I did one Zotero workshop. I, I can't remember if it was right before or right after our spring break, but, but right around spring break. But otherwise, I mean my my week three through six of the semester, roughly speaking, is super, super busy. But after that I'm just drops off I mean, as far as teaching goes, I've got other stuff going on, obviously. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I've also got a workshop on uh, bibliometrics and altmetrics for uh pre-tenure faculty it's they, our first time teaching it
2: so. you're, you're teaching
3: yeah i'm co-teaching with uh robin Chinromer, our communications librarian oh so, awesome yeah we have no idea how it's going to go but it's kind of a pretest for a workshop that like a full-blown like give them lunch type thing that we're going to do in the fall um
2: so, let yeah. i know i know robin listens to the show would you um maybe talk to her i don't want to you on the spot, but maybe uh, uh, we could have her on the show uh, late spring over over the summer maybe, and you guys talk about how that went. Sure. Because I'd be really <laughs> interested in hearing about I'd it. I'd be
1: interested in that too, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah it's uh, something that we're both researching right now. We're uh, presenting at an EBSS uh, forum, research forum at ALA this summer.
2: And so this this is about like journal impact and things like that?
3: Um, yeah, but more specifically author impact and the new ways that people are communicating with each other and how that right. uh, canon should be reflected uh, when they go up for tenure and in merit raises, all that stuff about how you present it. And actually, it all started with this podcast of my struggles to try and, like, you know, equate it to scholarly, other scholarly communication. Hmm.
2: Well, I know that's that's been a research interest of yours for a while. So yeah. So that's, that's really awesome. I didn't yeah. – I, somehow I had not – Realized that you were turning it into a workshop, though. That's really cool.
3: Oh, yeah. So it should be fun. It's, I, I've i been really fascinated. And like, every time I think I've got a handle on it, I see another article about it. So it's definitely something that's moving fast in academia. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that today.
2: <laughs> no, but, but for a future, um, I mean, maybe it gets off the point of instruction. But I, I'd at least like to hear on the podcast about how uh, how the workshop goes. That sounds really awesome.
3: Sure, yeah. I will report back later.
2: <laughs> so, um, Rachel, we, uh, we had um, talked about a possible alternate uh, topic tonight, but we're, we're doing a last-minute change of gears that, that uh, Rachel has suggested. So, um, Rachel, maybe you'll kind of introduce our topic
3: for us? Sure. I, I think this came up in a previous episode, and we had kind of said, oh, we should talk about that sometime.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um,
3: yeah, but it's uh, the, as Anna said, the discovery layer, that new being that has emerged in the library world, especially in academics uh, within the past couple of years. And uh, just to give you personal background, at our library, we uh, bought our first, well, our consortium bought one, and we didn't like it, so we bought our own. (laughs) (laughs) And we've had it, uh, I think, since this fall. Is that right? Yeah. I think we've had it all school year. And no, since last year. I'm sorry. We've had it like a year and a half and I still am struggling. You know, like I, I guess maybe I haven't like come to terms with like getting to know it and love it on a personal level. I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but, um, it's a huge hurdle for me of trying to incorporate it into instruction sessions. And so I wanted to talk about it. Uh, what is it? What does it do? What doesn't it do? And how do you guys approach it? And, Maybe we can come up with some awesome ideas or even just varying viewpoints.
1: <laughs> Ta-da! Well, I guess for, it, it, there might be people out there like me. Um, I mean, you were saying it's prominent in academic libraries right now. And when I hear discovery layer interfaces, I just kind of, it's like, what? <laughs> it's like it's like you're speaking Japanese to me. Um, so I'm interested in it because usually what happens is things will kind of start at one in one arena of librarianship and then it kind of bleeds out to the other areas so I'm interested in it just to kind of think from is it going to be something that'll come down the pipe to the public libraries and our public libraries using it and I'm, I'm interested to know what's in it and why would you teach it in instead of a specific database or a the catalog specifically um so I'm kind of interested in that aspect of it.
2: Well, let me I'll, – I'll take a stab at that first, uh, Anna, and then I, I know Rachel will chime in as well. But um, <laughs> so when we uh, – th- I mean, there are several different products of these things that we call discovered layers. Um, the one that my library has, GSU has um, the EBSCO Discovery Service, EDS. Um, Rachel, you said you guys have Aqua Browser and, and Summon, insane. right? Yeah, yep. Which – I've seen um, uh, both of those demoed, and they're, they're really neat. Um, but they're- so
1: You have two, Rachel. You have Summon. For now. And uh, Aqua Browser.
3: Aqua Browser is going away soon, and we never actually even publicize it. Like There is no link to it
1: okay. from mm-hmm. anywhere
3: on our website anymore, but it was bought for us by our consortium.
1: So- I'm just on this website right now, Library techno I'm sorry, Jason. Mm-hmm. I'm on this library site librarytechnology.org, and it has all the discovery layer interfaces there that you can look at. So I'm kind of looking yeah. at it right now while you guys are talking about it.
2: Well, and if you want to if you want to see the EBSCO one, you can go to library.gsu.edu. That's ours. Um, but, I mean, what what these things are, is, uh, they're really, when I explain them to students, they're kind of a Google-like search, is the idea, that, you know, students are, are so, and a lot of researchers, not just students, are confused by, Having to go to the catalog to search for books, and then there's a different interface so they have to find a database on their topic to search for articles, and then there might be ten different databases that are relevant to their topic. And how do they pick one? And so a lot of people are looking for you know one one place where they can search for stuff, and it doesn't have to be the be all and end all of you know it's going to have everything in it, but they just need you know one place where they can search for stuff on their topic, whether it's books or articles or, or whatever. And so that's what these things try to do. These discovery layers try to, like, combine, um, you know, ideally the library catalog plus all of our journal holdings. They don't really, and I'll talk about that a little bit, they don't have all of our <laughs> journals in them, which is part of the problem. Um, you mean they, they don't
1: have all your electronics? They
2: don't have all of our electronic journals. Okay. Right? Um, there, ours does have, um, most of our special collections material, our archive stuff, um, is indexed in there as well, or some of them anyway, some of, mm-hmm. some of our special collections and archive stuff. Um, so the idea is to have one place where you can just search the whole library collection at once, whether it's a journal article or book or archival item or whatever it doesn't matter you can just go to this one place and search for it which in a perfect world that would be great and it would just (laughs) be the solution of to all of our problems and there there are many drawbacks to doing it that way Um, and just to
3: clarify i am pretty sure what you're describing is a discovery layer and that's kind of that's that's what's around now and i think the two that we didn't mention WorldCat local and primo are the other right. two big ones there may be others floating around there, there are but those others, are the ones yeah. okay um but then there's also uh federated searches which is all i heard about when i was in
2: graduate school right or meta searches um, meta searching right. is the other term you and apply i applied to this my
3: i think and correct me if you guys think differently but um my thinking on federated searching is that it's only restricted to one material type and usually journals so like I remember, like, at University of Pittsburgh, which is where I went to graduate school, they had Zoom, and that was the, you know, the, the latest and the greatest, and you could select databases and search, right. like, three or four databases at a time for yep. journal articles. But this combines not only, uh, journal articles, but also content from the catalog, and then, like you said, um, digital collections or any other collections that are held by an individual library. Right. Can be and I think when I
1: was at Emory, that was, what, 2004? i don't even know anymore 2005 2006 they were testing federated searching in galileo which is our consortium of databases that we had
2: Mm -hmm. right yep
1: and it was you could select the databases that you wanted and just search more so you could search more than one database at one time basically
2: right and we had we had one at gsu up until about a year ago called xerxes it's an open source one and it would it would let you you know combine database searches um so, Anna, you were asking at one point um, what 's the difference between these things? It may have been before we started the the episode, but um, my understanding and i'm I am not a systems librarian, but my understanding of the difference between them and just from having used both of them is federated searching or meta search if i 'm using these terms right that a federated search will will let you search multiple databases, but what it does is you type your search term in. And it searches one database, and then it searches the next database, and then it that's searches right. the next database, and then it shows you a unified list of results. And mm-hmm. it's really yep. slow. So yep. Some of them are really slow. And it depends on what databases you're searching, how much data it can pull out of each of these things, and what the results are going to look like. It totally depends on what databases you're, you're combining into your search. And some databases could not be combined into the search and so on. Yep. So that's federated searching and and you guys check me on my understanding of this if i say anything yeah. really stupid a discovery layer is different in that you it's not you don't type in a search and then it searches the holdings of one database and the next database and the next database all of these indexes are loaded into one search inter, uh, one one search sort of unified database in some sense and i know if there are any systems librarians listening they're cringing (laughs) listening to me to try to describe this but but they're all it's like just searching one database and it contains all of our journals on all these different topics and it contain it also happens to contain books in the library and so on and so forth so the search is a lot faster the results are more sort of uniform because you're not searching across different platforms and then combining them Hmm. It's I think, yeah, yeah, and that's the, no, that's that's it. That's basically the best explanation I can give between this. Yeah, like I
1: just did a search. I went to GSU's federated search, right. And on your front page, no, the box
2: that's our not a federated search. That's I'm our sorry, discovery you're, you're, layer, Your discovery layer, which I'm sorry. we called we call discover. That's how we've branded it. We just call it discover. Yep.
1: And it searched very quickly, and I yep. see I get ebooks, I get journal articles,
3: I and is get it books all blend? from your
1: catalog?
2: Right. Is
3: it all blended together?
2: It's all yeah. – and it's yeah. and ours is EBSCO, which a lot of our students are very, very familiar with EBSCO, right. so yep. they're comfortable using that.
1: Okay. I'm with you guys so okay.
2: far. So,
1: Listeners, are you with us? Good. Uh, I, I'm okay <laughs> with that. Now we'll dive deeper.
2: <laughs> so here's, here's a couple of downsides that I see to using these discovery layers, and then I'll shut up for a second and, and let you guys talk. But the downsides that I have encountered when I'm working with these things with students is, one, they don't contain everything. Ours contains yeah. something like 90% of our e-journals. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you don't have special collections in there, or do you?
2: It does have, uh, and I don't know how much of our special collection stuff is in there. Um, a lot of our, our online special collections, our, our digital archives, mm-hmm. I think most or all of our digital archives stuff is in there. Obviously, anything that's listed in the catalog, if it's a special collections or archives, Mm -hmm. it it contains the whole catalog. Right. So anything like that that's in there, people go in expecting it to contain everything, and it does not. There are if you if you are doing specialized subject research of some kind. Like if if you are one of my communications folks and you go into Communication Mass Media Complete and do a search, you will probably find some journals in there that are not in our discovery layer.
3: Right. Well, that's because I believe it's only what you guys actually own is what's being searched for in the discovery layer, whereas a traditional database is just going to search a set of journals, whether you own it or not.
1: Right. You'll have the citation, and you can locate it a different way if you exactly. need
2: to. Ours does yeah. have some citation-only stuff because it's got a, a checkbox that says you can check off in oh, outside the collection only. Yeah, so yeah. you can limit it that way. But as I understand it, ours does have some citation-only stuff in it as well. I,
3: I always forget about that. Ours does too, and I it's you know, like it's like the last button down and
2: mm-hmm.
3: I don't know. I never use it.
2: <laughs> so that's one that's one drawback. It goes broad. It goes really broad, but mm-hmm. in, in not in every case does it go as deep as, as we might expect it to. Right. The other thing is it it's like Google in that it gives you so many results mm-hmm. that it narrow it down. Of now this is great sometimes because I have done LIS research on, you know, for my own stuff, I have gone into Discover and done some searches in there, and I found some great stuff from education journals and so on that's Mm -hmm. not in the LIS databases, and I would not have found it otherwise, and I found some really useful stuff that way. But there's so much stuff to dig through that you have to get really, really, really specific with your searches in order to, to get any kind of a manageable set of results, I don't think students care about that because they're just looking at the first page anyway, well, well, think, most of our undergrads are.
3: I think that's one of the major features. I, it, I don't know if it's really a positive or a negative, but uh, to me, I think one of the biggest things to, to tell students is that the way that it wants you to search it is so different from a database, and it, it is more similar to Google, but like to me, it's like a dumb Google because you know, it's not sorting things as well because it doesn't have the millions and millions of pages that Google does and it doesn't have all that rich content of who's citing whom, you know, um, to link to. So, like, the sorting is inevitably crappier. But it wants you to, like, search for, like, a few words, right, You right. find stuff and then use the filters
2: use the to narrow it's it down. Right, exactly. Yep, yep.
3: Right. Um, so... I I will say one thing I really love about Browser is that you can limit by a call number. And I think Primo you could too. Someone you can't. And that always irritates me. But I mean, you know, I'm a librarian. I I doubt it's really bothering students.
2: Yeah, I don't think that's bothering students too much. But um, But most
3: notably, there's no subject heading specifically. Um, Everyone that I've seen will kind of take out subjects or common keywords, but they won't explicitly list the subject headings. So some of the like the advanced search techniques that we're all used to using as librarians are completely absent.
2: They, and, yeah.
3: And I guess it's a blessing and a curse. Like then they don't have to learn it. It's a more intuitive process for them. But, you know, I feel like if I'm teaching them this stuff at some point, I would hope they would grow out of it. You know? And they'll they'll need more fine tuned search techniques. And at that point we can't, you know. It's not the best thing for their I don't know, for their search anymore.
2: Well ours ours does have um, subject headings as a facet. That that well. is Yes. yes. <laughs> and we Does can, it
3: have subheadings? Uh, sorry. Geez. Our new
1: favorite. <laughs> I know exactly.
2: <laughs> Jeez, but I how
1: does how does it how does it how does this discovery tool then because what one what one database might have as a subject heading might be a different subject heading in a different database.
2: Right. And I yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. And
3: maybe that's that might be why I've seen it, where it's like they'll kind of pull keywords and they'll pull keywords from the subject tags and then call it just subjects, usually. But they're kind of vague, you know, like history or geographies, you know, and have those as limiting.
2: I just did, and a, maybe that's, yeah, mm-hmm. I just did a search in hours and I've got, subject this is EBSCO so i've got subject i've got subject major heading and i've got subject thesaurus term which i think if you want to mm. simplify it for students that is a terrible way to simplify it for students <laughs> yeah but there there are all these options i think and i've i've heard a lot of these same complaints that we're making right now I've heard them from other librarians. I have never heard them from students or faculty members who are doing research. Oh, au contraire. Really? Um, <laughs> okay. So what's your experience
3: yeah. been? Um, so we did a LibQual survey. We do it every two years and um, we had just implemented, um, ours is actually called search box one word. Mm. So, which makes it really, really tough to describe. <laughs> it's a search box and it's called search box. So you search in the box search box. Anyway, um, so, it was fresh on their minds. It had been around for about a semester. Uh, but there were a couple of faculty uh, responses that had like it was just a free form. Do you have any comments about the library? I wasn't even asking yeah. about who um, was yeah, I was still summoned um and they said this should not be thought of as an appropriate equivalent to real online searching for students. All you're doing is enabling them to find crappy content. Wow! (laughs) Yeah, it was that's that's amazing
2: because I mean these are still journal articles. I don't know about crappy content. This I mean it's still searching,
3: but it is very vague. It's like it's great for people who say I want three articles on I don't know international development. Mm -hmm. You know, and they don't care which three articles it are. They are because now we have this one box and whatever it tells me comes up first. I've got the library stamp of approval on it because it's coming from the library. So I don't have to do any thinking about it. I just take those articles because that's what the library told me to take. You know, does that
2: make sense? It does. And I'm, tr- I'm trying to formulate a response because <laughs> you said you said a couple of things that I can I can rebut and a couple of things that I agree strongly with. Okay, so one thing that you said was it's great for the researcher who just needs, I need three articles on this topic. And I I hate that about it, and I really like that about it, because it's terrific for the novice researcher. Because, I mean, we're not getting rid of the databases. They're still there for the more advanced researcher who's who's comfortable with, with the databases and stuff. But if you've got a student who is doing this kind of searching for the first time and I need journal articles and I don't know what a database is and I barely know what a journal is and and mm-hmm. I'm confused by all this stuff, you can give them – here, this is right on the front of the library website. You can search – you can find articles on your topic and you can give them a successful searching experience because they're going to find something. Are they going to find the best possible articles on their topic? Probably not. Maybe not. But it gives them the experience of searching and locating these things. And I think that it's a good way to introduce novice researchers to library research.
3: So I've got a few responses to that. Sorry. Okay. No,
2: no, no. Go ahead. That's what we're here <laughs> and
3: for. This- I guess this kind of dives into the root of my confusion with it right. is, well, let me start by saying the best explanation I heard for this was actually, uh, one of the it guys at Emory, his name is Scott Turnbull. His Twitter is Streamweeper. He's an awesome guy, but he pretty much said what Primo does. And that's, you know, the one that they use at Emory is it helps low level searchers right. by doing some of the searching techniques for them. Right. It's got the cool like spell check. It's, You know, it'll do different variations of the word. It'll pull the most relevant results up to the top so they don't have to. So it's essentially, you're right. For someone who wants three articles, it makes the job much easier. My question is, is that the way we should be going? Because Google Scholar does the exact same thing, right? (laughs) Um, The only difference being the actual results you get, right? The two databases are going to be different, different content, but a lot of overlap. Um, and
1: does it pull? Does it pull the most relevant content to the top? Do you think? I mean, do you see that on your respective respective um, discovery tools?
3: Mine does not. It uh, overly uh, weights towards things with the exact title. So if you just type in a word or a phrase, it'll pull mm-hmm. up like books and articles with that title first,
0: mm-hmm. which
3: are often not very helpful.
2: Okay. We have had a lot of discussion uh, at our library about. The rel- about exactly that question about the relevant stuff because it sometimes seems to give us very weird logic as far as what it thinks is relevant and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. and I think that title weighting might be part of it We're obviously we're using a different product than you guys are but sometimes we are just baffled by its behavior mm-hmm. as far as relevance sorting goes. You can- um,
3: From what I remember at Emory, Primo will do – one of its big algorithms is number of times that the word appears in a record. And it was always pushing DVDs to the top because (laughs) their descriptions are like ten times longer.
2: Yeah. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I've never realized that. Okay. Huh. Um,
3: Yeah. And also with the Ferberization, it would always pick the DVD one because it thought a more complete record than the, the book version of the same title. <laughs>
2: huh. No, we've never seen yeah. that, so okay. that's that's weird. Or I've uh, never, at least. Uh, quick
3: never... aside for anyone who doesn't know, Ferberization is an attempt to take uh, pretty much similar or hopefully identical copies or versions of the same material and push it into one record.
2: It's combining editions, essentially, right? That's right,
3: exactly. So like, if you're looking for Hamlet, instead of getting a hundred different Versions of Hamlet, you get one record and then you click on it to see the hundred copies and the various iterations of it.
2: Mm-hmm. And what um, was
1: the word?
3: Ferberization. F-R-B-R.
2: F-R-B-R which stands for... For, what does this oh, stand for? Yeah. No
3: idea. I'm sorry. I'm not a metadata person.
2: <laughs> I'm going to Google that and pretend that I'm not Googling it while right. talking. Uh, it's in the it, show
1: notes, too.
3: Uh, function,
2: <laughs> it, well, Anna, it stands for Functional Requirements for Bibliographic Records. <laughs> well, there you go. As you know. Of
0: course. <laughs> I, <laughs> Maybe I knew, you forget it. it. it I knew the like...
2: term. I just couldn't remember what the, the acronym stood for. So.
3: And I believe uh, Laura, our last guest on the show, show, always referred to it as Furbyization. So you can picture a row of Furbies. Instead of Ferber. Personal face. Anyway, so Primo is over-Ferberizing, so it would take not only the books of Hamlet, but also all the plays and, um, you know, all the video productions of Hamlet and putting it into one record. Anyway, I've totally forgotten. Oh, so we're helping students push up their searching ability, right? Is that the end goal, right? As teachers, isn't it kind of taking the teaching moment away? By just showing them this tool, yes, it's really easy to l- use, but are they learning that much about how to use the systems? Or is that the end goal? Do we want eventually to produce library systems that are so easy to use that nobody needs to learn about it? Or should we be like hardlining and saying the best way to search is not using this, but to use these more advanced search techniques because you, you regain a lot of power when you use them? Okay. That's the big thing I struggle with.
2: Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And okay. uh, now Anna said she had questions. So, uh, but I, let me. No, play, I'm listening
1: th- to you too. Let me because I guess when I have a I have a comment on what Rachel just said also. But go ahead, Jason. Well, let me
2: just let me just throw this in. Um, I have a, a, a rebuttal to what Rachel just said, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a word scaffolding. I
1: feel like we're like in the Republican debates, you guys. I love <laughs> listening to you two right now. Thirty seconds for a response.
2: Go. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, how about how about this? How about the idea of scaffolding in that? You give the freshmen, the first year classes, (laughs) a very easy tool like this. And this is essentially, I think, what I said before. You give them a very easy tool like this to introduce them to the concepts of searching. And this is how a library search tool behaves. And this is some of the the stuff you're going to get in it that you are not going to get in a Google Scholar. You are going to get for one thing, you're going to get books, which you're not going to get Google Scholar. You're, you're going to get uh, It will allow you to search the library stacks, the, the physical items in the library stacks, which you will not get in Google Scholar. It will tell you what the library has as far as books. But it gives you a simple, sometimes simple, tool that will let you experience – it's a step up from Google – but it's not quite the same experience that you'll get in a subject-specific database, and I think it's a good way to to step them up. And then, with your, you know, by the time they are sophomores juniors, you can be introducing the subject-specific databases to them, and say, okay, I know you've used Discover or whatever, however you've branded yours, uh, a search box. You've used search box, or you've used Discover before, this is like a Discover, or it's like a search box, but it's just for communication journals, so you're going to get fewer results, but they're going to be a lot more specific to what you're doing for this assignment, and so on. So I think that is one way that you can, I I would not recommend it as a a last stop, um, you know, first and last stop for any assignment, probably for anybody, but I think it's a good... Introductory tool. At least, it's got other other uses besides just being an intro, introductory tool. But I think that's one thing. That's one way that we can look at it in an instruction context. That was more than thirty seconds.
3: That's okay. I I, I accept that. Um, my worry is always <laughs> that we have so little scaffolding mm-hmm. that I never. And I've heard from faculty that rely on that uh, the English one hundred and one hundred one classes to get all of the basic library search stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm scared that showing them the stopgap measure and then with the promise that I'll teach you more later, mm-hmm. if that later never comes, then I've taught them very little Well, and that the faculty have trusted. And sometimes that's why they, we aren't asked to come in. It's because they assume that they already know how to do it. You know,
2: I'm not sure that at GSU and, and if you're, listening to this, then I, I don't know for sure that this is the way we're going, but I think that we may be moving away from doing in-person instruction sessions for all of our first year English classes because there are so very, 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 very many of them, and we can't keep up with them all, and the person who has been doing them has just accepted another job, and she's leaving, well, tomorrow actually is her last day. So mm-hmm. I don't know what we're going to be doing as far as, as live instruction sessions for the English one Oh one. So they may be limited to tutorials, yeah. lib guides and what they can discover, no pun intended on their own, <laughs> which is right there smack on the library homepage. And hopefully that's going to be useful for somebody who never goes to a, an instruction session.
3: So how about this as a proposal, a kind of a, a compromise?
0: Um, that
3: they're not inherently bad, <laughs> which is always where I tend to go, but that if you're going to teach it, it should be done kind of strategically, right? That you have to kind of check in with what other teachers, other librarians are teaching to make sure that it's got its own proper context.
2: I th- that, th- I think that's very yeah. sensible. I'm sorry I, I cut you off.
3: No? no, it's okay. Just that it's not the only tool that they're exposed to.
2: Oh, no, absolutely not. I would, I would hate to think it's the only search that they ever use. Um, I do recommend it to students a lot in classes as a supplement
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: to the databases. Um, I've talked about this before. Communication is a very um, uh, multidisciplinary
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, subject, mm-hmm. and a lot of the assignments that my students are working with you know, I can show them a communication database and you know and other stuff too, but but they could be researching anything. I mean, a lot of the journalism classes are right about a topic of your choice, and so they can come in looking for health stuff or historical stuff or business stuff or anything. And so this is a good fallback for me to point them to. I can say, if you're not sure, if it's three in the morning, and, you know, you're not going to be able to reach me for research advice or whatever. If you're not sure, it's always worth checking this, this Discover search box on the library homepage. So it's it's always a good fallback position. And I tell them the same thing that I said a few minutes ago. Um, even if you're searching the the subject-specific database, it's often useful to go and hit the, the – um, uh, discovery layer as well I don't call it that to them but it's often mm-hmm. useful to go search the discovery tool just because it'll get you some journals from other disciplines that you might not have thought to search it mm. that can be useful So,
3: and how much time do you sorry that's sorry, okay Anna. how much time do you spend talking about it do you feel like it's more intuitive that you can just say hey this thing's here if you need it use it now we're going to go on and talk about the less intuitive things I
2: spent or do you sh- very very little time talking about it in class um, Okay. It's rarely one of my. I don't. It's never one of my learning outcomes. Is involves the discovery tool. Never. Um, it often comes up in class. Not always by a long shot. It frequently comes up in class as a point of discussion. Um, be, you know, because so often I'm talking about other databases you might need to try depending on what you're writing about. So it often comes up in that context but I never spend much time on it in class and it's rare that I will actually go in and search it while talking to a class You know, I, I, I don't ever do demos of it or anything I'll just say hey and this is here too and try it
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Anna I feel like yeah. Rachel and I kind of went on a yeah. tear there <laughs> you still there? you said you had some comments
3: uh oh I think we lost her yeah. We'll edit this
1: part out.
2: We'll edit this part out.
3: Hmm. I'm trying to think. I'm of here.
1: What... Okay. Oh, you are here. I had it on mute. Sorry. I was talking yep. and I had it on mute. Okay. Because <laughs> my son's in here with me. Anyway, um, I, I'm learning a lot from listening to you guys. And, and it's, it's, again, I always kind of think from the user person. I'm look, I feel like I'm looking at this, like I'm a first year student and because it is, I, I haven't used it before. Mm-hmm. And a couple of things that I think is interesting – Jason, I think your point about – especially with um, disciplines that are kind of – multi the the areas that are more multidisciplinary, mm-hmm. I can totally see that being a great tool to have in their arsenal. Yep. But what's interesting is I look – and I don't – I'm not picking on GSU. I love GSU. I love everyone I've ever oh, I, met from GSU. I pick
2: on GSU all the time. Go ahead, <laughs> it's,
1: it's interesting that that's the first – when you when you come up pull up your page, that's the box that's there. It's for Discover. It's not your catalog. It's not your journals. It's not research guides. It's it's your Discover tool.
2: I think that's pretty common now, though. I think we that's actually, is it. I think I it's becoming more it? and more common. Our you- started there,
3: and then we actually kind of hid it in a series of sub tabs for like articles, <laughs> books, etc. Because we thought it was too confusing for people that they weren't sure what exactly they were looking
1: at. Because going into it, I would say if I were a 17-year-old student, a traditional first-year student, traditionally aged first-year student, and I did that search, I'd be like, what in the God's (laughs) God's corner am I getting? I mean, what is – I mean, it's it's – and I guess what I want to know is have you guys seen usability or have you done usability studies or have you done some like non-invasive kind of research where you've kind of watched how people have used – the discover tools and and I'm sure it varies from skill level. Like where are they in the mm-hmm. continuum of their education? But um,
2: I'm not sure if we have done any usability studies as such. And I may be completely wrong about that because, as I've mentioned on the show before, we do have an assessment librarian. And she does lots of of studies, of which I am not entirely aware. Mm -hmm. So we we may have done some that I'm not aware of. Um, You will see, if you go to library.gsu.edu, that we struggled a little bit with how to brand this. because, And I'm giving that URL so you can see how we ended up labeling this thing. Because Mm -hmm. it says over the search box, discover articles, books, Books, media, media. unique collections, and more. And we did that because... What a mouthful. Yeah, I I know. Uh, You know, we couldn't just say search books and articles here because we're librarians and somebody's going to complain and go, oh, but it doesn't just search books and articles. (laughs) You can also find DVDs in there. And then special collections is going to go, but wait, there's special collections stuff in there. So – but That's, there's
1: pictures of my children in
2: there. Right. We have
1: to add that too. Yeah,
2: right, right, exactly. That's so, really what
1: it is. Those are their babies. That then they want to publicize. They do. They want to publicize what they right. work on. And of
2: course, and of course, I mean, we want to, everybody wants their stuff to be on the homepage. So, right. so we've got that slight. I think pretty clear to librarians anyway, but slightly unwieldy label on there. And then we've got a link there next to it that says Learn More About Discover. I know, I see if, your little mm-hmm. thing. And if that you go nice. there. Um, that will take you to a a web page or blog post where it's like it spells out in more detail what you're getting. I don't know how many people actually go there and look at the the details about more, or if they just go, hey, there's a search box there. Because <laughs> there are, I mean there there are multiple boxes on there, and there's a there's a box at the top right that says search university library. Mm -hmm. And that confuses people, too. That's a Google search of our website. It's not Mm -hmm. a search Mm -hmm. of, of any of our collections. And then there's a box to the right, which is live assistance, which is our chat reference service, which sometimes people seem to think that that's a search box as well. So.
1: I just think of disciplines like anthropology or mm-hmm. I mean, how you were saying communication studies. I just think it'd be a great, I mean, just a great asset to their research.
2: I think yeah. for a lot of the social sciences and a lot of the humanities, it's probably more useful because you can go, I think, anyway, in those kinds of disciplines, you can go more multidisciplinary and mm-hmm. find that useful. I think if you were doing, you know, a biology search or, or something like that, it might be less so. And Rachel, you, I'm I'm way ignorant on science, as you know, but <laughs> but uh, ha, have you used this with? Well, hey, I, I make no bones about that. I've got an English degree. I know how to talk about metaphors and stuff. But um,
3: you got me there. <laughs>
2: uh, I mean, uh, do you find this useful with your science students? Your, your. Uh... I
3: never mention it. Yeah. I told you, uh-huh. I've been completely ignoring it, except okay. on a case-by-case basis, mm-hmm. which I readily admit and am a little ashamed about, but partially because I haven't sat down to think about it, though I mm-hmm. do love the idea of, like, here's another thing you could try, but it's not the main focus. Because I've always felt like I had to pick, you know, between either I'm going to show them the databases or I'm going to show them uh, search box, because once they see search box, they're not going to listen to anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it... I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a weird noise to indicate that uh, it can be useful depending, like environmental science classes uh-huh. tend to be way more interdisciplinary. They need a uh-huh. wide variety of materials usually because they have to get into public policy at some point, often, right, right. especially on our campus, which is very policy focused. Um, but they're like PubMed. You cannot beat PubMed. PubMed is all that and a bag of chips. So using discovery just kind of like strips away you know, it, like some of the awesome features that you get with PubMed replaces it with not so great features. It can, so. it can
2: really muddy the waters for, for some classes and some assignments. And I think I think that really if we're talking about is this useful for us to teach, I think it's really going to depend on the class. And that's kind of a cop-out answer. It's a
1: case-by-case basis, absolutely. But yeah, think like, about your audience.
2: like my, my journalism history class, this would be completely useless for them. They, they need history journals and they need primary source historic mm-hmm. newspapers and that's that 's what they need and I can tell them you need you guys need to go to these two places yeah. for that right? it's, it, actually it 's way more complicated than that but but <laughs> discover is not going to be useful for them. My uh, journalism ethics class maybe they could potentially be writing about case studies uh, you know about stuff that that happened you know it 's a case study mm-hmm. for their ethical Uh, ethical dilemma that they're writing about, could be. Um, And then for an undergraduate speech class, uh, you know, a sophomore speech class where it's give a speech on a topic of your choice, yeah, yeah, Yeah. they might even (laughs) want to go there first. Yep, absolutely.
3: Um, I just want to mention two other things about uh, Discovery Tools, how I use them that have nothing to do with instruction, but just, you know, maybe people would like to know <laughs>
1: i don't know um one i've found it <laughs> we're gonna go inside rachel's brain this is how she researches okay kind of.
0: it's like
1: being john malkovich being being <laughs> Borchard, Borchard, being Borchard? Rachel orchard okay Borchard, Borchard. okay um
3: i find it really really helpful for known citation searching especially oh, with yeah. articles You're
2: that exactly you can just right
3: cut and paste the title and boom you've got it and when you click on it, you, like you don't have to go through SFX. Well, you kind of have to go through SFX, but it's more intuitive. You don't have to find. For us, it's that little find it button. You know, it's right. way more intuitive of how to get the full text of the article.
2: Absolutely that's, right.
1: That's so redundant to me. Then that's not redundant. It's that's so counterintuitive to me. That's not discovering. That's you know what you want already.
3: I know, but it's beautiful. Oh,
2: it's great for as them. a
1: library, especially for librarians.
3: It's a wonderful tool. The other librarian use I have for it is. Um, that they have RSS feeds, which Mm. I love. So I use those to create uh, lists of new books for each of my subjects.
2: I have never used it for that. What a great idea. I use it Uh, for the the known item searching all the time, but I've never done the RSS feed thing with it.
3: And this is the one thing I love about Aqua Browser, and I don't know how well the others do it, but two of the the facets.
1: I really like the name.
3: Aqua Browser, yeah. It's Mm -hmm. It's a little weird. It's, it's reper- Dutch, so, like, it, the, it's big thing is the word cloud on the left that will show you, like, related words, and they're often Dutch, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Oh, boy. Yeah. Or other languages. Like, almost always other languages appear. It's, I've never found it helpful. Anyway, um, and that's my big beef with it. But two of the facets. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dog's barking. He never barks. Um, two of the facets that are helpful are published in the last 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And narrow by call number. So those two things allow me to construct really accurate book lists. Um, that publishing
1: and just, that, That's nice. How yeah. recently it's been published or whatever.
3: Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the other ones do it. I just know the Aqua Browser does. But yeah, RSS feeds, awesome. And I think even for faculty, like, it's an easy way to show them that they could set up RSS feeds for very specific search terms that are related to topics of interest. Instead of through individual databases or journals like they usually do.
2: That's a terrific idea. I am looking at ours now, and it doesn't let me do that. That um, publication date. I mean, you can uh, search by you can you can facet by publication date, but not thirty days, sixty days. Yeah. That's that's good. I like that a lot. Um, I wish that ours did that.
3: So those are my tips for success. Nothing to do with instruction, but.
2: Well, and I'll I'll mention again though that I have used uh, ours for LIS research, and a lot of the time it's finding some really useful stuff because like if I'm uh, if I'm researching citation software just to choose a random sam- example, um, there will be lots of articles about. Zotero that appear in like science journals that are yep. not in the LIS databases because you know science researchers are writing about how they use Zotero. Yep. And it's of interest to us as librarians, even though it's not in an LIS journal. So it can be really useful for that kind of thing as well.
3: Yeah. Same thing with altmetrics. It's all been driven by the sciences. It has nothing to do with library science. So I found tons of fantastic content. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> So little things to think about. What are our take homes here?
0: There are well I guess ways I that- have
1: I have some things I wanna to pose to the to our listeners is I wanna know what are some strategies they use with teaching. Cause I feel like we get such great feedback from our listeners every, it's you know, true. and so I want to know Ooh, what are you especially doing? Especially if they
3: have like metaphors, you know, like what are they, is it like Google on crack? Is it like the Walmart thing? of databases?
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, we laugh, but that's, that's uh, seriously, that's a, a good question because uh, we don't always know how to explain this to students. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not a database. We yeah. keep being told, no, it's not a database. It's different from the databases. I don't know exactly how it's different, um, or how to explain that to students. Or do, I mean, if that's just such a fine distinction that that they don't care. But um, so yeah, what you said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I are there pre- I any libraries know,
3: that are doing it right, they're
1: having. I'm sorry, Rachel, go ahead. No,
2: I was just saying, are there
3: any libraries that like have a really succinct, you know, because the, the GSU thing of searched books, media. Articles, unique collections, like I think we all do that, and I want to know: has anyone found a yeah. good way around
1: that too?
2: And if, Go you've ahead, got, Anna. if you've got good, I'm sorry, if you've got good lib guides or tutorials about <laughs> using yours, I'd love to see that. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Share, librarians share. <laughs> they do. I love it. Um, I want to know if people are seeing in the classroom if they have to kind of unteach some things because if they have they gone in and used, you know, the discovery tool and. It, You're just seeing wonky. (laughs) I mean, maybe they're just like overwhelmed or I don't know. I just want to know, are they having the unteach or un? is that the word I want? Unteach?
0: Unlearn? Yes.
1: Thank you. Reprogram something like that. Kind of, you know, their strategies, the students' strategies. And I also want to know if anybody's watched, have they watched people go in and use it? And how are they using it? And are they just abandoning it? Once they start using – and again, that's – I'm thinking more I'm, – I'm always kind of – I admittedly always think about the first-year students. So I know that's what I'm focusing on. But um, I really am interested to know because I can see how it's helpful. And I think you guys pointed out some great things, how it is a great tool to use depending on what you need it for.
3: I was just that's thinking it. this is random, but it might be good I, to talk – talk with a like an instruction not an instructional designer but like yeah an instructional designer or someone who does a lot of usability testing I know. I would love to hear you know because I yeah I know we have done focus groups I don't know if we've done usability testing but like it always seems to stay with that person you know and like maybe little changes get made but like we never really hear about what is it like to be a first-year student Approaching like the library catalog for the first time. I'll tell searching. you what I've
1: been a part of two usability studies, and it is fascinating, fascinating, <laughs> and so telling. And you can always tell when you enter a database or an interface that just has not been yeah. tested.
2: Um, I may have just found a potential uh, research project because I just did. Now this is a super quick search that I just did in. Um, uh, Lista Library Information Science and Technology Abstracts. I just searched for discovery layer and literature review, and didn't, I found two articles, and neither one of them is a literature review about discovery layers, which is what I would really like to see. Where'd you yeah. do that search? Uh, Lista Library uh, Research dot com. It's a free EBSCO database. Hey, um,
3: okay. while you're in there, can you do usability testing and discovery? Sure. I'm sure this is as exciting as it's ever gotten on our podcast. You guys
2: be interesting <laughs> for a second while I do this search. Let's I don't know. Listen I have goosebumps, to Jason. So I'm do-
1: excited. Look at um, my goosebumps.
2: There is okay, one just- called "There's one called um, Taking Discovery Systems for a Test Drive," and you know I may be on the wrong uh, subject heading here. Um, taking Discovery Systems for a Test Drive, Usability Testing of Viewfind at an Academic Library, which Viewfind mm-hmm. is. as an OPAC interface. It's not a discovery layer. Um, And one called...
1: I can't keep up with you guys. (laughs) One is called...
2: Well, I only know that because it's it's the one that we have. Uh, One is called Oasis or Quicksand, implementing a catalog discovery layer to maximize access to electronic resources. Uh, From 2011. These are all very recent. Um, So...
3: Interesting. Let
2: me see what it says about usability testing. I think that third one, Oasis or Quicksand, by Safley Montgomery, and Gardner, might be the closest one to what Anna is talking about. But I think... That there, there might be uh, some research to be done there because I mean they're they're really mm-hmm. new. I you know I don't think anybody had these things until a couple of years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know I don't know how much has been published about these, but I think there's a there's a research need for some of this mm-hmm. stuff, and I bet there's nothing about teaching discovery layers yet.
3: Ooh, interesting.
2: <laughs> Rachel, we need to talk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we need to talk possibly. about this. Yeah, Once okay. we figure out how to teach them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's uh, there's a 2012 article called "WorldCat Local and Information Literaci- Literacy Instruction: An oh. Exploration of Emerging Teaching Practice." That is the only one that I found so far, uh, and it's by Margaret Grotti, G-R-O-T-T-I, and I'll I'll send it to you too. Uh, actually, I'll uh, let's post it in the uh, in the show notes. After. Sounds good. Yeah, cool. Yeah.
1: We, we also learned one of the other takeaways is it's a case by case basis if you're going to show it. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean,
2: <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's with every yeah. instruction, it all comes down to your learning outcomes. And if the learning outcome is just find three articles, period, then yeah, I think this, this yeah. might be a great good. There you
3: go. Or if you've only got 10 minutes, you know, in class, maybe that's a good way to substitute for a more thorough. Research consultation, you know.
1: Do y'all have a canned thing that you use, like a boilerplate thing that you use on your lib guides regarding Discover or your what? Uh, Rachel, I can't remember the name of your search box.
2: Search box. Uh,
3: no, okay. we don't. No, like I said, don't talk about it.
2: Uh, uh, no. <laughs> Rachel is in denial. Is <laughs> I actually there. probably need to go revisit some of my um, lib guides because my my lower division classes like my, my first year speech and stuff like that um, I need to go back and revisit those and um, and put more about Discover in there. I think that I do. I've not looked at them since the beginning of the semester and I'm trying to recall exactly what I've got on there.
3: Oh, we do have one thing we do have like a little portable search box search box <laughs> that we put into LibGuides. So you can just like put it as a little widget You know, so people can search right there
1: A meta but- search box. Oh god <laughs> Yeah, that made my brain hurt. Okay.
2: But you know, that's that's <laughs> one nice thing about this being um, ours being an EBSCO is that you can use the EBSCO widget builder mm-hmm. to create a, a, yeah. a search widget for it. So yeah.
3: Yeah, that is a really nice thing about all the Discovery layers is their portability. They play nice with APIs and widgets and so forth.
2: And RSS feeds. Mm hmm. So,
3: so. All right. I think we should wrap this up.
2: Let's let's wrap this thing <laughs> up, you guys. Um, uh, listeners at home, I just want you all to know some, this will mean something to some of you. I have Mass Effect Three sitting in my Xbox right now, and I gave up an hour <laughs> of Mass Effect Three time. Gamers in my audience realize what a sacrifice this was because I love you all so much that I had to uh, I had to do the podcast tonight. I gave up an hour of time with with my beloved Commander Shepard to be here with you all tonight. So. Uh, I think I'm going to go join Commander Shepard on uh, on the starship for the rest.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate talking about the I appreciate the topic tonight because I feel like I'm walking away with um, learning some new things and kind of some things to think about. I mean, even though I don't, we don't have it where I am, it's um, it's always kind of nice to know what's going on. You know, we barely
2: touched on on your question, Anna, about are these things going to you know fan out to uh, public libraries. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, does this uh, let's finish up with with asking you, is this something that you could see moving to a public library? Or is it is it just not something that, that you see your users needing?
1: That's a great question, Jason. I've got
3: a I've got an answer. I think it's actually less appropriate for public libraries because I feel like there's a much sharper line between finding things for entertainment or research purposes. Yeah. I think... And entertainment's all in the catalog. And I public library catalogs seem to be so much better by and large oh than God. academic catalogs that I... No, I've, go take a look at ours. Oh, really? So, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But they've got, like, pictures, and you guys... You know, a lot of them have we overdrive, do. Do. that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> but, um... They don't have uh, pictures. I we do have pictures in ours, but I guess I don't. I'm thinking about at the academic level, you have the digitized collections, and you don't really see that. I mean, maybe at um, maybe like the New York, your the New York Public Library, you're going to have that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't I don't know if it would be. I just
3: don't see as much of a need for it at public libraries because I think they get what they need through the catalog mostly.
2: Yeah, I I think Rachel's right. I was just uh, just curious to, to hear Anna's perspective on it. Um, Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> you no, got I, mine instead. No, no, no. I we got we got both. We got both. That's what we're after. So. Okay, cool. Well, let's uh, let's wrap that up then. That was episode thirty-four. Thank you guys very much for listening. We have uh, some special guests coming up in the mm-hmm. next couple of episodes. We at least have a guest uh, semi-confirmed for May. Uh, somebody very cool, and we may have an April guest as well. We're uh, we're working on that. Um, stay
0: tuned. Stay
2: tuned. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next month. Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Vanskoig. It's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks. And our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Blown Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.